Welcome to Sense by Meg Forer, the podcast that's brought to you by ParentSense, the app that takes guesswork out of parenting. If you're a new parent, then you are in good company. Your host, Meg Forer, is a well-known OT, infant specialist, and the author of eight parenting books. Each week, we're going to spend time with new mums and dads, just like you, to chat about the week's wins, the challenges, and the questions of the moment. Subscribe to the podcast, download the ParentSense app, and catch Makia every week to make the most of that first year of your little one's life. And now, meet your host. Welcome back, mums and dads. I am super excited today to be joined by Anandi. She is a fellow occupational therapist, and I really feel great affinity with my fellow OTs because I know the journey that they've been on in terms of their studies and also where their hearts lie and their absolute passion. And Anandi is absolutely probably one of the most passionate that I that yeah. OTs that I watch on social media. She is the mom of a little one, but she's better probably known to most of you as the OT behind Play More OT. And she has the most incredible Instagram page. If you are looking for ideas to do with your little ones, it's just an absolute wealth of information. So I'm very, very excited today to be welcoming you, Anandi. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, Meg. It's just always a pleasure to connect with you and sharing your wisdom and all your practical tips and experiences as well. Excellent. So Anandi, I think we must kick off with starting with you just introducing who you are and a little bit about your family and your little one. Amazing. So as Meg mentioned, I'm a pediatric occupational therapist and I have a special interest in sensory integration as well as playfulness. So I did my master's in playfulness and it really has spurred on for those who have followed Playmore OT, like a big, a big reason behind that. So I have spent over 10 years in private practice in various school settings, but I have taken a sabbatical from that with my recent addition of Mama to the title, which has just been incredibly wonderful. So I've got a little six and a half months, but because he's prem, I feel like he's a little bit like a superhero. He's six and a half, but also five months, which really has been very fascinating to be on this side of the experience as well. And yeah, so play really is something that I'm extremely passionate about. And through the years, really realizing the impeccable, important role of caregivers in children's play and development. And that. Somewhere along the line, I do think play and what play means and how do we play with kids has, has got a bit jumbled up. So it really is for me such a joy to be able to share in how do we nurture play in this ever-changing life and busyness of life that we're living at the moment. So you've always been passionate about play because this is your firstborn. So it's not yeah. like you had a child and then decided you like play. No, no. <laughs> I was quite interested in a couple of things you said there. One is that you did your master's in playfulness. What was your mm. master's question and, and what were you looking at? So we specifically, I was actually an incredible opportunity. I'm so grateful for that. We were part of a randomized controlled trial, which was one of the first ones for the occupational therapy profession in South Africa. So we formed part of quite a large study. And I specifically worked with HIV positive children from really large catchment areas around Cape Town who attended the Khrotiski clinic. And we compared kind of traditional one-on-one OT as we would kind of normally approach um, in a private practice or school-based setting with a program that included the caregiver as part of the intervention process. So in that arm of the intervention, the caregivers were 
with the OT for 45 minutes and then the kids were joined for the next 45 minutes. It was an hour and a half session that included the caregivers. As part of my study compared from, I had a, a population of six months old all the way to eight years, how did their playfulness change over the span of a year in traditional OT versus when we included the caregivers as partners in the process? So it really was wonderful and, and yeah, I think it was this just spurred on this love I have for it even more. Well, I'm going to put my money on the fact that when the caregivers were involved, the outcomes were better. Yes, it was. It was. <laughs> Brilliant. You know, that's how I've always worked in my practices. The moms and dads carry the yes. magic because the magic happens in a relationship. And as yes. a therapist on the outside, you don't have the same relationship. So yeah. that is just music to my ears. And it explains a lot about why you've been so passionate about conduiting the information on a yeah. platform like Instagram, because you know that if yeah. you can get it to moms, they'll know what Absolutely. to do with their little ones. So it's all about playfulness. And the other thing that I picked up, and we'll come back to playfulness a little later, but the other thing I picked up in your introduction is that you said you've got a six-month-old and a five-and-a-half-month-old. So moms, if you're very confused about how somebody has a six-month-old <laughs> and a five-and-a-half-month-old, when you have a prem baby, they have their chronological age or their actual age, which is obviously in your case six months old. And then they have what's called their adjusted age. And the adjusted age is you subtract the number of weeks prem. So the fact that you've got a little one with such a discrepancy, how many weeks was he actually prem? Six weeks. Okay. All right. Yeah. So six weeks prem. Mm -hmm. And how was that journey? I mean, that was clearly a little bit of unplanned yeah. work for you. No, absolutely. I've got a tissue close by. I know people on my Instagram scene, I, I can become quite emotional about this, but I've also been very open about our infertility journey. And it really, it, it was a journey to this little guy. And the reason I'm starting with this will, will make sense in a second. But we, we walked the fertility treatments, IVF cycles, and eventually was blessed with this little miracle. And I think a big part of coping with that process is the power of visualization and going through that process of once you have your little bundle, how will that look? How would that feel? And I think we do romanticize. I've worked with families for over 10 years. I, I know the hardships. I know that's part of it. But in those moments, you're visualizing to help you get to this, this dream. And as beautiful as that was, it was quite a whirlwind when all these visualizations came quite to, to a big crashing halt with, I went into preterm labor, but this little guy also had the umbilical cord around his neck five times. And I still, it, it was just one of those days where I actually went for my 34 week checkup and what I thought was Braxton Hicks was not Braxton Hicks. <laughs> and eventually it just progressed very quickly. And by suddenly I was 10 centimeters. Oh, I wow. think suddenly, but the, the day felt a lot. It was fast and slow at the same time. And because of, of the umbilical cord, we had to get him out before he entered the birth canal. And that whole day, I mean, they were obviously trying to slow down my labor. And I just kept asking my gynae, what are the chances that we can stop this? Because I, I've been in NICUs before. I've worked with premature babies and kind of going through to school going age and obviously I've never been on the other side and mm. I think you kind of think you know <laughs> what that would be like but there was once it happened and, and there was such a loss of all those visualizations mm -hmm. um, obviously around mm. the birth um, not having that skin to skin um, because I couldn't stop my preterm labor his lungs were very underdeveloped so he needed to go on CPAP immediately I didn't get to hold him for I think four days which you holding that grief of all of these these moments but then certainly gratitude that 
he's, he's fine. you know he's there and he's mm-hmm. fine mm-hmm. but I think I certainly think that having been a therapist and working with NICU babies and preemies and mommies I, I wish I could go back and give every single mommy that I mm-hmm. ever worked with that was a NICU or preemie a, a bigger hug mm-hmm. having been on the other side now mm-hmm. you know. yeah well you've spoken a lot about that theme of adjusting the dream and we do have this yes. uh, romanticization and moms if you want to yeah. you can go and listen to a podcast I did recently with Kali Abramovitz she's a psychotherapist in Cape Town and she talks about how how we build these images of what's going to come yeah. we romanticize it and it's important for bonding it's important mm. but when you have a prem baby or a baby who's sick or diagnosis at birth everything comes crashing down yeah. and it really yeah. is a very different journey yeah. so when he was born you spent some time prior to his birth in NICUs you had the knowledge mm. as an OT were there things that you knew because of your training that you think would be amazing for moms of prem babies to know upfront that you are, were so grateful for your knowledge base? No, absolutely. And, and I think the, the biggest thing for me is stepping in with the sensory knowledge. I think it's mm. for, for our premature babies, it's such a double edged kind of difficulty because one, they, they're losing out on the important and beautiful aspect of staying in the womb for mm. that extra amount of time. And having the whole world be turned upside down with the sensory experiences mm. in NICU with the bright lights and the noise and all of those things are so protected in the womb. And suddenly the experiences that would normally be there, the movement, the deep pressure input, like all of those lovely things that we know are so beneficial is suddenly just removed. Mm. And now we're sitting with quite <laughs> intense alerting input. And I, I, I I think especially when I walked in, it was quite an interesting, I think also we're walking in as a therapist because I struggled to strike the balance between being his mom and being the therapist. I found that first day or two. I was so worried of overstimulating him as well because he was physiologically very dysregulated. So he he stopped breathing quite a few times, which is obviously quite scary when you're there and those things happen. But then you know of the power of touch, but you're also worried of, you know, not, touching them the right way and kind of adding to the mm. to their difficulties but I think once the shock went down and I think I needed to allow myself just to feel the feels as well being able to give him some of that proprioceptive input like even like the way we, we nested him every hospital and I've, I've discovered this every NICU is very different with their kind of approaches and what they pro for and what they aren't but luckily they were very open to having that little nest for him so he could have that nice deep pressure input mm-hmm. him when it's kind of according to his stats when we were able to to do that but mm-hmm. being able to reflect on what is he missing out on that he would be getting and how can we add that into his little space I also spent a lot of time reading to him and Nikki, and I had quite a few mummies asking me, why am I doing that? But I really did believe that him just hearing my voice as he did in the womb mm. was for him that familiarity and that, that calmness, that thing maybe for myself as well. But it, it definitely was an exercise of thinking, okay, the lights are what they are. The noise is what the, it is. Like we made like a little hood around his head to try and reduce as much of the, the fluorescent lighting that's in there. So we tried to reduce the things that we know normally he wouldn't be exposed to and see how could we up the sensory input that he would have had the benefit of having. But it is definitely a fine balance when medically, and I don't know for him, there, there were quite a few things that they needed to keep an eye on and being respectful of kind of their processes and 
all the cords and having access to all those things, but then trying to regulate him as, as much as we possibly could even early on. Mm -hmm. But I think the loss of control, I mean, I, I feel like if parenthood isn't <laughs> an exercise into the loss of control, I, I think NICU was definitely that. And I just reminded mm -hmm. myself that when he came home, I saw that as the period of down regulation. Yeah. That is where I said, I don't have all the control in NICU, but when he comes home, our environment was very calm, very quiet dim lighting mm. so we try to take a lot of the principles especially in the home environment because I think sometimes in NICU you you feel a little bit limited with what you can do but there's just so much that we can in our home environments I know mm. nurseries can look so beautiful with the mobiles and I think sometimes we can make them quite busy but having that calm nurturing space that you kind of feel good being in I think it's so important yeah. for our premies coming home as well yeah. No, absolutely. Unfortunately, I think a lot of mums don't understand just how vulnerable those yeah. new sensory systems are. So yes. that was one of the things that you really did understand, that we have this very vulnerable sensory system and that it's yeah. going to manage best if it's really reenacting the womb world, which is why you did the yes. deep pressure and the nesting, mm -hmm. why you read mm -hmm. to him. So I love all of those things. So fast track a little bit forward. He's now a whole lot older than that. And you look yes. at your journey from the time he came home until now. What else have you found that was, I suppose, let, let's start with the magical milestones. Let, let's start with mm. the things that you got so excited about when he did them and, and why you got so excited. What significance you find in milestones? This episode is brought to us by ParentSense, the all-in-one baby and parenting app that helped you make the most of your baby's first year. Don't you wish someone would just tell you everything you need to know about caring for your baby? When to feed them, how to wean them, and why they won't sleep? ParentSense app is like having a baby expert on your phone guiding you to parent with confidence. Get a flexible routine, daily tips, and advice personalized for you and your little one. Download ParentSense app now from your app store and take the guesswork out of parenting. Yes, and I actually want to start here, never limit a premature baby <laughs> I think I again I get, went home with my therapist brain with this we're looking for things at his adjusted age the actual age we have a lot of flexibility and I remember so well around the six week mark when he had his first smile but because it was six weeks and I'm not going no he's zero weeks he cannot be smiling at me it's just gas it's gas it's gas and then it happened again and again and I think more than anything and I, and I know mommies who have NICU experiences and premature babies it's so different and everyone's circumstances are so different but I think again he just reiterated to me the importance of child-led and observing for their cues mm -hmm. and I think not limiting I, I felt like I was almost limiting what he could and couldn't do in a way with the timelines and I, and I think it's so true for all moms. We get so stressed about they should be doing this at so many weeks and that at mm. so many months. And sometimes we kind of lose sight of the little person in front of us. And for me, that smile was like that real first thing of, okay, mom, I'm going to show you, you just follow my lead and, yeah. and we're going to journey forward from here. Mm. And it's been incredible. I mean, the rolling has been just fascinating and seeing him, he's definitely and, and I'm sure we'll, we'll chat a bit more about this as well. His, his sensory processing has been fascinating coming home as well, where I first thought this is the profile that we brought home. But knowing that your NICU experiences pain, that all of those things can adjust how we interact with the world and how we engage. And it can shift so much um, 
in terms of how he respond. And he's definitely turning into much more of a sensory seeker. So he is already pivoting on his tummy and very keen to explore the world around him, which I feel like some days I'm like, oh, I'm not ready for. Slow down. He always just wants to be two steps ahead of where he is. Yeah. So that's really interesting what you're talking about there. So we have milestones that have certain ranges. As an example, Mm. smiling is quite a hardwired milestone in that most babies smile at six weeks, but babies can smile as early as three weeks Mm. and as late as eight weeks. It it doesn't indicate any problems or any advantage, really. It's a wide Mm. range. And obviously with a prem baby, you would then expect them to be achieving those milestones at their adjusted age. So moms, just to give a little bit of insight there to what Anandi was saying, her little one was at six weeks old. He was actually naught. He was at birth. And so therefore she wasn't expecting a smile. What does happen, which is amazing with prem babies, is that they catch up at different rates. It is likely, and I often say to parents, instead of adjusting for that full six weeks, you can actually yeah. start to pull it back. And so maybe now at six months old and the fact that he is achieving his milestones kind of appropriately, you're not adjusting for six weeks anymore. You may be only adjusting yeah. for maybe three or four weeks. Have you found that you've done yeah. that quite naturally? Yes, yes. And, and, and I definitely, and, and this is something I am very grateful for that um, I, I've had the knowledge set coming home to be able to, and I think the the regulation has been the most important part. Um, yeah. With that, like you said, our premies have such a vulnerable nervous system and they can be so overstimulated so easily. And if we're not well-regulated, the way we engage with the world, our feeding, our sleeping, our playing, our even face-to-face time with our caregivers, all of those things are affected. And I feel like because I was lucky enough to come home with that knowledge, and I know from my family and friends, I think they felt that like I was quite strict when they came around and said, no perfume. I had quite set rules around... I could sense when he was becoming niggly. I made a reel about this on Instagram and, and our tendency as, as grown-ups, we often want to keep putting our face in their faces when they're clearly turning away, where that's a sign of, I, I need a break. And I think I was lucky enough to say, oh, he's turning away. We're going to give him a break now. I'm, I feel very lucky that I've, I was able to have kind of that language to explain mm-hmm. why I was doing certain things and deciding certain things because I feel like we were able to regulate to his degree. And, and like I said, we're still discovering his, his little sensory personality as we go to make allowance for that start of life but it's been just such an incredible privilege to be on this side so you're speaking about a sensory personality and sensory personalities moms if you haven't done the course the sensory personality course inside the app you must do it I don't know if you've done it in Nandi and I think you probably have done some of my courses before I'm guessing and so we have these sensory personalities which I put into very much layman's terms. There's the social butterfly and the slow to warm up and, and the settled baby and sensitive baby. So moms, it really is worth, worth working out what your baby's sensitive personality is. What's really interesting, well, I, I had three very different children. I have a, a social butterfly, a settled and a slow to warm up. And they are oh, wow. still like as young adults, my, my son's already in his twenties and my daughter's in her late teens. And they still are those sensory personalities, which is super interesting. But you did allude to something there, which moms asked me about a huge amount. And that was, can babies change sensory personalities? Mm. What sensory personality did you think he would be? Well, I think definitely coming home, there was a lot of sensitivity. Mm. And I think definitely if we look at NICU, he pulled out his NG tube so many times. He pulled out drips. I think I was in tears just as much as he was during that time. Um, So there was just so much pricking and probing and, and, and a lot of painful experiences that I don't think we'd ever wish 
upon our little humans in that early early time or in ever <laughs> and I think it's definitely that and I think it's like when you pain or when you have a headache we're very quick to respond to things and I think as the pain subsided and as he became a bit more comfortable and, and in the setting at home, I was able to start seeing a little bit more of his his true self because it is such a different environment when you are in NICU. I mean, even I felt like the fluorescent lights, it's, it's quite on an extreme mm. side. And I think once some of those things were removed, his thresholds, I think, could show me what did our little one genetically, you know, where are we kind of at? But yeah, it's still, I think it, as parenthood, Definitely still a journey, yeah. and yeah, and I do sometimes think we still might be having a little bit of a mixed profile where some of his sensory systems he seems to be more seeking. I do feel like his auditory, and again, I do think unfortunately the start of life that we've had, mm. the auditory and and the tactile do seem to be sensory systems that he is still more sensitive. We already have those little baby buns, mm. <laughs> headphones for him when we go into noisy environments. So I'm already regulating so much when we're out and about because I already, I can see at home when the mm. dogs bark too much, he's quite niggly yeah. and things like that. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see. But what has been your take on changing profiles over the months? Yeah, so that's really interesting. So first of all, I do think that profiles can change in two ways. The, the one way is in response to immediate situations. And um, an immediate situation would be, and I always talk about that dark alleyway that you walk down the dark alleyway and all your senses are, are heightened and your threshold gotcha. goes super mm. low because you've got to take in information, even if you are not normally like that. Because if you're under threat, your systems have to respond to the threat mm -hmm. by making sure that they're alert. So I do think that there's situations that can change profiles and mm -hmm. certainly being born premature, certainly being in the neonatal ICU and definitely yeah. being in pain lowers thresholds. Yeah. And we mm -hmm. see that if you and I have got a terrible headache, yeah. we're a little bit more fractious. No noises are much louder. Smells mm -hmm. might overwhelm us. Our threshold for being able to cope with sensory stimulation goes down. So yeah. I, think, I definitely think there are things in our day-to-day -day life that can actually mm. lower our threshold. Having said that, there's also threshold changes in response to growing up and getting older and kind of developing a little bit that, that we might see. So we often see it actually interestingly, and not with him, because you didn't speak about it, but with many babies, they start off as settled babies and they're actually quite settled and quite deep and quite well. And then they become social butterflies. And that's because they've started off with just taking the world as it comes until about three or four months old. And then suddenly they find out that the world's super interesting. And then they start to become super gregarious. And that happened to my boy where I can remember at four months, he would not feed on the breast. He would be like sucking for three sucks and then trying to look away, take my nipple with him trying to look at what was going on behind him because he was so social. So he ended up being very social. But what he had, which was really interesting, and he still does have, he doesn't have the best ability to self-regulate. So when he seeks, seeks, seeks sensory stimulation, he then mm. is over the top, overstimulated, and then there's an awful yeah. down. And when he was little, mm -hmm. that would mean he'd be shrieking, 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 making noise, making noise, making noise, and then suddenly like a temper tantrum. That was his profile. So he started off mm -hmm. so settled, went into a social butterfly, and then still, even when he was a social butterfly, could sometimes look sensitive because he'd overstimulated. Yes. So mm -hmm. you do have these, but I think when moms ask me about it, I say, try and recognize, and you wouldn't necessarily be able to see this at six months old, but Try and recognize what's their default position they go into when you go to a birthday party, mm. let's say, for instance. Yeah. Because a social butterfly mm. at a birthday party is like 
you know, a, a cat who's got cream, whereas a slow, slow to warm up at a birthday party is like a Velcro baby. They don't leave your side for 15 minutes. And mm -hmm. so for them, the world is much more scary. And for the sensitive baby, they just want to go home as soon as they can. And, they, and they're yeah. very fractious. And then your settled baby at a birthday party might be a little bit of a loner out on the outside, not necessarily yeah. engaging because the world is not, it's interesting, but it's not that interesting. They're just taking mm -hmm. it as it comes. So you do at birthday parties, see everybody's true colors come out. <laughs> Oh, I love that. Yeah. yeah. So what milestones are you looking forward to at the moment? He's five months old, six months old, somewhere around there. What milestone yes. are you watching for daily at the moment? Sure. This little guy's already sort of pivoting around on his tummy and trying to push up on his knees and arms. So I do think crawling is, is um, yeah. upon us. And, and it is certainly because he is such a seeker. I laugh because our, our two dogs are watching him. No, they know what's coming. So I'm quite, <laughs> I think I'm quite ex excited for this explorative nature to, to take flight. And I mean, I've been very obviously in, in terms of even child-led play which I know a lot of people think do babies play and and I often say babies play they might they might just play differently to the image we have mm. in our minds but there's already so much that if we sit back and that wait watch and wonder we can already notice what their play motivations mm. are and interests and, it, and it's been fascinating even during tummy time to see things he's interested in but I definitely think once he's on the move to see how he explores and plays with the world and what this next chapter will yeah, hold for us. I think I'm definitely going to get a lot more steps and <laughs> calories yes. burned over the next few months. But So it's quite interesting. So my son was also, it was a social butterfly and was very developmentally precocious. He did, he was very advanced with all of his milestones because he was a social butterfly. My second mm. was, was a settled baby. So she was much slower with her milestones. But what was super interesting was that James was so desperate to get going at six months that he actually did start crawling quite soon after he was six months. And moms, just for reference, you can have babies who crawl as late as 10 months, and that's all within the normal range. Mm. But James did it really early. But, Anandi, which you'll be interested in, he didn't do it properly because he rushed through his milestones so quickly mm -hmm. that he didn't consolidate properly. And I've often said to parents, when little ones consolidate properly, it's so much better. So James rushed through rolling, he rushed into crawling, and by nine mm -hmm. months old, he was walking. But oh, his, wow. it was really, really hectic. <laughs> but what was interesting was that his crawling, he always crawled with one leg out to the side. So he kind of uh. three, crawled, three leg crawled and one leg out to the side, so never quite perfectly. His walking obviously was fine, but in terms of coordination, his ball skills weren't the most fabulous thing. He later went on to row, which requires a different level of coordination. But it's kind of more uh, symmetrical and reciprocal rather than complex yeah. learning. Mm -hmm. um, so I do think that for those moms who are listening to the milestone talk here, it sounds fabulous to have a precocious, advanced, mm -hmm. early baby. But actually, on a number of levels, it's not what you want. And the consolidation mm -hmm. of milestones, taking it slowly and doing it mm -hmm. long and hard and long and hard. Yes is actually a whole lot better for the, the neurological system. In addition to mm. which, having an early mover is extremely stressful. I can remember, yeah. I mean, at, at nine months old, having James walk and just knowing that like chaos was ensuing. Oh, no. And having to baby-proof a house when he was seven months old because he could crawl already. And that's not stuff that you should have to be doing because... No. <laughs> I, I almost think in our culture of seeking milestones can become yes. benchmarks. Everyone goes, oh, this is great. We want our babies yes. to be advanced. 
But the truth is actually that we really just want them to consolidate what they're doing and not Absolutely. go rush through it. So yeah. not that you can stop them. I mean, I was it's interesting on this yeah. podcast, I had Cassidy on for a lot of, I don't know if you've listened to the podcasts of Cassidy, but we, we followed her once a week, the whole way through her baby's life. Nice. And, and he suddenly at nine or 10 months old, looked like he was going to start walking. And I said to her, Cass, you've got to stop it now. Aww. You've got to make sure he's on the floor. Take away any anything that he could be walking against. And she was so intentional with her parenting of him. Mm. And really, I mean, he is the most delightful little boy. And she was so intentional with the way she parented him, which was wonderful. So I have loved chatting with you. So many fabulous nuggets of information. Is there anything before we sign off that you wanted to ask me? Yes, I think that... And again, I've, I've, I share quite freely on my social media around what's happening in our lives as well. And this little guy has definitely kept us on our toes in, in many ways. So obviously dealing with some medical things as well. So we have some allergies and got introduced to a whole other world that I didn't know about. And I think I've had to have grace with myself to, to learn as well and to allow myself space to learn. So around, we've had gut bleeding and cows eventually got diagnosis of um, cow's milk protein allergy. And then a lot of things that accompany the allergies, like excessive reflux that he struggles with. Certainly just some of the pain. So we've started solid. He's loving it, but he has a very sensitive gut just in general. Unfortunately, as well, during NICU, they had to give him antibiotics, which affected his whole gut. So there's mm. quite a few different things, but pain has been quite a, a significant thread through mm. our kind of story with him and obviously this impacts sleep a lot yeah. <laughs> so I, yeah so I don't know if you have any and I know there's lots of other mummies like we, we seem to have ticked quite a few boxes at the same time but when I do speak about reflux or gut bleeding and allergies and just little ones with general gut difficulties that it, it seems to affect sleep in, in a very different way where they do need that help in, in terms of the co-regulation and yeah, the importance of the restorative. You want them to sleep so that we can start healing this gut in the situation. But yeah, what are just some of your tips and, and tricks or advice around babies who have pain and, and how that impacts their sleep? Yeah. So look, first of all, I do think it is important to get little ones comfortable. And if that means that yeah. there is proton pump inhibitor or some medication for the reflux, obviously getting them there is important. It's the same as if they have ear infections or teething. I, I do think mm -hmm. that analgesia and treatments are there for a good reason. So don't hold off yeah. on it. I think introducing solids is a very wise thing. I really do. Mm -hmm. I'm presuming that you've got the book Allergy Sense. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And we need to talk about Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I definitely think that it'll shed some light on the type of recipes and the type of weaning that you can do. In terms of sleep, I think a few things. First of all, definitely always watch the awake times. And the reason for that is the minute you shift those awake times too long, and with social butterflies, it's always hard because they don't give you the tired signal. No, no. But as soon as you shift those too long, then you are moving little ones into having a lower threshold and being more sensitive because they're overtired and tiredness affects um, sensitivity as well or threshold. And then they're going to be more irritable as well and, and, and more fussy. So certainly watching awake times is very, very important. I mean, at six months, he should be having three or four day sleeps. And then he'll probably drop down to two day sleeps at around about nine to 10 months. With him, what I'd probably do with those sleep, because he's got reflexes, I'd probably do his awake mm -hmm. times according to his adjusted age rather than according to his chronological age, because that might assist. Mm -hmm. And then raising the head of his cot is also a good idea, which I love doing actually mm. by putting a pillow under the mattress. So you actually mm. put it like a normal pillow under the mattress and then the mattress is raised. 
And then I really love for any baby who's battling with pain and discomfort for sleep to dampen their state by using white noise and weighted mm-hmm. blankets. And I think mm-hmm. those two things, I think at this age are the two most powerful things that you would have white noise mm-hmm. on when he sleeps. And then also that he has a weighted blanket over his tummy mm-hmm. so that he has a deeper state. Is that pressure? Yeah. yeah. So I think those mm-hmm. are the kind of things that you would be able to do in order to make sure that he's sleeping more comfortably. Amazing. Thanks, Meg. Pleasure. Well, thank you so much for the question and thank you for sharing. And most importantly, a really huge thanks from me and the moms for the work that you do on the Play More OT Instagram page. Moms, if you are not following Anandi, you have got to follow her, Play More OT. And if you've got a little baby, then go back and have a look at her posts. Mm. Actually going back even before his birth, but certainly since he's been born, they've just been incredible. So thank you very much for joining us and keep up the amazing work. Great. Thanks so much for having me, Meg. It was fun chatting. Excellent. Thanks to everyone who joined us. We will see you the same time next week. Until then, download ParentSense app and take the guesswork out of parenting.